0: Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. Pull up a chair while I discuss the concerns for the team's present and future. Questions are always welcomed, whether on Twitter at Tim815 on my anchor contest line or on my Facebook Pre-Arb Excellence group. Welcome to today's episode. A lottery isn't necessary. And ask me questions if I was confusing. A lottery isn't necessary. Um, on what, what 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 day was it? Thursday? On Thursday, MLB came out with a recommendation as to what they would like to do. MLBPA said Yeah, thanks, but really no thanks, and bye. And after not too terribly long, the negotiations broke apart. One of the things that people are looking forward to, saying, hey, let's do this, this sounds like a good idea, is having a draft lottery. A draft lottery, which, like in the um, NBA, in the NBA, teams don't necessarily try to lose games down the stretch because there's a lottery so if you have the worst record you don't necessarily get the first pick. That's the premise in having a lottery and I get it but <laughs> it's really not uh It's really not a proper ideal, even remotely ideal, goal if the goal is to eliminate teams trying to not win. If the goal is trying to get teams to win, you will come up with a different answer than trying to get teams to be interested in Adjusting their chances with a lottery. Okay, this is going to take a while. I'm going to take a deep breath now. (sighs) Okay, if owners are about winning, if executives are about winning, then things would be different than they are now. For instance, a part of what happened with the Cubs in 2022 2021 part of what happened with the cubs in 2021 they got to late july and realized you know what we are not going to make the playoffs ownership executives thinking we are not going to make the playoffs so we might as well trade our high-end players for two reasons one by trading the players, we will get prospects for the future, and two, we will trade the players, and it will probably create additional losses, and the Cubs, after the trades, went from, as I remember, 10th or 11th, down to 7th at the end of the season. Now, 11 to 7, or 10 to 7, may make a lot of difference to you. It may, may not make a whole lot of difference to you, but there was not a whole bunch of interest in every single one of these games is essential. That was not the mindset. A bunch of the mindset is, hey, what the heck, let's try this guy. Let's give this guy a look. Let's call up this guy from Iowa and see if he's any good. Because after all, the importance of the games being played in August and September really wasn't that important. It really wasn't that important. The Cubs got to the point where, well, since we've already traded Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and Javier Baez, we might as well let Frank Schwindel play at first base and see if he's any good. Because regardless what this person or that person or the other person might say, let's see how he does. And Frank Schwindel is a very good barometer for that because if, Frank Schwindel would have done horribly. You know, OPS of three ninety seven, and he struck out 45% of the time, and he was terrible defensively, and he had a bad attitude, and all that kind of stuff. Then you release him. (laughs) You release him. You know, no, he's gone. But he actually played well. He outperformed Anthony Rizzo. Frankly, uh, Schwindel was better than Rizzo in April to July, Schwindel was better than Rizzo in August and September. Now, does that mean anything on into the future? No, not really. Uh, We do know that Schwindel will probably be making a whole lot less than Anthony Rizzo in 2022. Just tossing that out there. It's not saying that, you know, it's a predictive barometer of anything for the future. But Schwindel, eh, might as well play him. Uh, Patrick Wisdom, might as well leave him in. Let let him play. Let... all. Keep playing Rafael Ortega. Oh, he's actually playing well. Doesn't mean that Rafael Ortega is going to be good on into the future, but what the heck. Let's put him out there. Let's see how he does. Let's throw out Manny Rodriguez in a leverage relief spot. But it might lead to a loss. Who really cares? Because if we tumble from 11th or 10th to 7th, then the Cubs would get a better first-round draft pick. And a better second round draft pick, and a better third round draft pick, and a better fourth every single round, the Cubs would also get more spending pool for their draft class. Spending pool for the draft class. Spending pool for the draft class is very important. As of right now, if all things are equal, and of course they aren't necessarily, because some teams with very, 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 very small markets like St. Louis, whose market is effectively Arkansas to New Mexico, cutting into Texas and half of Illinois, which is a very small market, um, they get an extra draft pick every year because they have such a minute market that you can barely even see when you look at a map of the United States. Because, you know, how, how could you possibly see, how could you possibly even recognize something that stretches from Arkansas to New Mexico into half of Illinois and some of Texas. How could you even notice that because it's such a small area? The Cardinal. everybody in the Cubs division gets a bonus draft pick every year. The Cubs do not. Tampa gets an extra draft pick every year. Cleveland gets a draft pick every year. There's like, what, 14 teams that get an extra draft pick every year? I think it's 14. There's six that get a draft pick after the first round and eight to get a draft pick after the second round or something like that but it's 14 sometimes they can trade the pick sometimes they can't trade the pick but it has value okay so a team has their amount of money that they can spend their amount of money that they can spend is Their total first round draft pick values, plus their total second round draft pick values, plus their third round draft pick values, all the way down to their tenth round draft pick values. And you add all those numbers together and you get an amount. So if a team is picking early in the first, early in the second, early in the third, early in the fourth, early in the fifth, early in the sixth, early in the seventh, early in the eighth, early in the ninth, early in the tenth, they have a much larger spending pool than a team who drafts middle of the first, middle of the second, middle of the third, middle of the fourth, etc., etc., etc. And the team that's drafting middle of the first all the way to the tenth has a better pool size than the team that's drafting, oh, 23rd in the first, in the second, in the third. And they have a better spending pool than the team that's drafting 28th in the first and second and third, etc., Now, of course, some teams will lose a draft spot because they sign a qualifying free agent. So it's a mishmash as far as the team's player pool. The Dodgers are going to have their draft pool reduced because their first-round draft pick is going to be dropped 10 slots because they spent, quote-unquote, too much last year. So the Dodgers will have a smaller draft pool. I think Sunny gray uh, no signing um uh, Trevor Bauer will also limit their draft pool or may, eh, is that this year or was that last year Whichever, whatever. But if a team signs a qualifying free agent their draft pool reduces. If they if you know if they don't have a um bonus draft pick, for whatever reason, they don't get an edge. If they do get an additional draft pick, then they do get an edge. So each different, no, excuse me, each different team is very possibly going to have a different spending pool amount. So you could have some teams with oh, up in the 10.3 million range, and some teams in the 8.7 million range, and some teams in the 6.4 million range, some teams in the 5.2 million range, and some teams in the 3.7 million range, etc. You just get the broad spectrum of a whole bunch of different ranges of how much you can spend in your draft class. Now, Here's a really simple question, really simple question. I want you all to answer it. Heck, you might even want to answer it on on the Twitter for me or whatever. If one team has an ordinary front office and has an $8.1 million spending pool, and another team has an ordinary front office and they have a $4.7 million spending pool, who do you think will have a better draft class? 8.1 ordinary front office, 4.7 ordinary front office. Who do you think will have a better draft class and why? My guess would be 8.1 would probably have a better draft class because with 8.1, they can take more gambles. They can take more risks. And whether they're drafting earlier or not, they probably would be, but whether they're drafting earlier or not, they can say, hey, we're going to draft this guy who might otherwise be difficult to sign because, after all, we have $8.1 million we can spend. And the t- the team that's a $4.7 million, they really have to be careful with their gambles because they don't want to lose anyone. They they don't want to lose any draft picks to, due to people being unsignable. So if they decide, hey, we have this 4.7, but we're going to try to dra- sign this guy who... Uh, demands $3.6 million to sign. And then, oh, my goodness, he didn't want to sign for us. And all of a sudden, they lose that um, draft pick. They lose that draft pick slot value. And instead of being a 4.7, they're even lower than that. So having a draft pool is different from having draft positioning. But draft pool and draft positioning are both, Facets of the draft. The baseball draft is funny like that. It's not a question of draft the best player like you get in the NFL or the NBA. It's not draft the best player. It's how much money do we have left in our kitty? So who should we draft? So for instance, with the 2021, no, yeah, the 2021 Cubs draft, Jordan Wicks went for slot level. And Wicks and the Cubs both knew slot level was going to be what it was when the draft was announced, you know, when when the selection was announced. Wicks agreed to slot level, the Cubs agreed to slot level, and it was understood, okay, we're going to sign for slot level, it's just going to be a matter of time, take take care of some other things first. Then second, the Cubs went with James Triantos, who was going to take more than slot level, and they took Drew Gray in the third round, who was a left-handed starting pitcher out of high school. He was going to take a bit more than slot value. So now all of a sudden, the Cubs have slot value, way over slot value, a bit over slot value. Four through ten were largely below slot value selections. Why? Was it because those were the best players available on the board? No, it was because... The Cubs wanted to sign all of their draft choices. They wanted to sign one through 10, because if you don't sign one through 10, that is costly. They've done it before, losing a draft pick, and it doesn't help, regardless what the reasoning, what the rationale, what the excuse, what the explanation. So the Cubs had their amount, and they came right in about where they should have. I think they're probably a little bit over, I'm not sure exactly what. But they got 1 through 10 signed. Not a problem because they were very careful of making sure that the players that they signed were going to be willing to sign. So they had the uh, 7th. This time around, they're going to have the 7th pick instead of the... What was it with uh, Wicks? 21? I think it was 21. So this time around, the Cubs will have the 7th. And theoretically, they'll probably have about the 7th highest slot pool amount. It probably won't be 7, it'll probably be 8 or 6. We'll have to see when the announcement is made officially, whenever the heck that'll be after the um after the lockout is solved. But the Cubs will probably have somewhere in the 6th or 7th or 8th largest slot pool available. Teams that had a really good season, the Giants, the Dodgers, uh, the Rays, the uh, the Yankees, you know, teams that did really well will have slot values much smaller than the Cubs because they had a good season. If you have a crappy season, you get to spend a whole lot on your draft. If you have a really good season, you don't get to spend a whole lot on your draft. That's the way it works. Put a pin in it. Take a deep breath. I tell you, I'm having a little bit of, uh, I'm getting mentally tired. I'm getting mentally tired. Fortunately, I have the Premier League that I'm paying attention to and I'm, paying more attention to that than baseball right now because they're actually playing matches and stuff like that, and I'm minding who's coming up against Tottenham and who's healthy and who isn't. But I'm trying to do the keep you updated on the baseball thing. If I'm doing a good job, you know how to look up on Patreon, on Anchor, how to um, hit like, hit subscribe, hit favorite, share share a podcast with a friend, etc., etc., etc. If I'm doing a good job, you know how to let people know. If I'm not doing a good job, well, thanks for listening anyway. But uh, I'm trying to do a good job. Hopefully, I'm doing a good job. Hopefully, I'm educating you. Hopefully, I'm feeding your brain and doing a good job at that. If I'm doing a good job at that, feel free to consider rewarding me for having done that. Okay, back. Two, the question at hand, what would be better than a lottery? Let's imagine, let's imagine, let's imagine. A person says, I want to lose weight. I want to lose weight. It's really important for me to lose weight. And he goes and talks to his physician. He talks to a bunch of his friends, possibly some of whom have lost some weight or are really in good condition. And you know, he asks a whole bunch of people, "Well, I'm trying to lose some weight. What should I do?" And the people say, in general, two things you might want to do is uh, are, two things you might want to do are increase your level of activity and mind what you're eating. If you eat better and increase your activity, you'll probably lose weight. Seems reasonable, right? So a person says, well, I'm willing to increase my activity, but I'm not willing to change the way I'm going to eat. Well, he might lose weight. He might not. But what he's done is he's made a decision. If he decides he's going to do both of them, he'll probably lose some weight. If he decides he's going to do neither one of them, he's probably not going to lose any weight. These are the ways you lose weight. If you do them, you'll probably be fine. If you don't do them, Well, that's okay too, but you're probably not going to lose any weight. Okay, now let's switch it back to baseball. If the owners want to eliminate tanking, I don't like the term. I really don't like the term because I don't think there's a definition for the term that everybody agrees on. I don't like the term. People like to use it. When I think of tanking, it's, oh, okay, well, let's see. Frank Schwindel is hitting really well, so I'm going to not play him today because he's playing really well. I'm going to put out um, a pitcher, a left-handed pitcher at shortstop. My center fielder is going to be my backup catcher. See how that is? That's tanking. You are deliberately, intentionally trying to lose every single game. That's tanking. What the Cubs were doing in 2021 late in the season, was prioritizing the future. Check to see. Is Frank Schwindel any good? I don't know. Won't know until you try, and it turns out, hey, maybe he won't be terrible. So the Cubs were doing something other than tanking, which would be, Frank Schwindel is the first baseman. Let's play him in right. Let's put him in right field and uh, make him do things that he can't do. That would be tanking. What the Cubs were doing was prioritizing the future, at least in my view. But a lot of people like to think that Playing Frank Schwindel at first base instead of whatever, whoever it was that they were supposed to play at first base was tanking. Okay, if a team is trying to get a major league team who is in, let's say a team is ninth, ninth in the reverse standings. They are sitting ninth. They can possibly finish somewhere between 11th and 7th in the draft. 11th and 7th in the draft, over the last two weeks, depending upon if they do really well or really poorly, they will go somewhere between 11 and 7 from 9. 11 and 7 from 9. Now, if adding to your draft pool spending is important, then you might be tempted to, well, I'm going to send out a crappy pitcher, I'm going to bring in crappy relievers because I really don't care if I lose or not. See how that works? If winning a game is not important, you will alter your um, lineups. Whereas if there is no benefit in losing, then you'll probably say, well, what the heck, this guy actually probably should be my leverage reliever. I'm going to bring him in instead of this guy with a 7.5 ERA that probably doesn't belong in Major League Baseball and we're going to release them as soon as the season ends anyway. See how that works? Okay, if the goal is to have teams value those last two games and try to give a really good representation of Major League Baseball all the way through the season, if the goal is to do that, eliminate the benefits from dropping or rising, however you want to put it, From nine to 11 or nine to seven, and try to make teams want to go from nine to 11. Nine to seven means lose a couple games, nine to 11 means win a couple games. If a team is interested in, hey, we're going to get a benefit if we lose games, so let's lose games because that will add to our spending pool then there's a temptation to do that. If you introduce a lottery, no matter how the lottery is set up, if you drop from nine to seven, you're still going to have a better chance at a bigger spending pool. The way it's set up now, you would have a better chance at a bigger spending pool and a better draft class. So that is not... Stopping the tanking. That would not be stopping the tanking. It would not be encouraging teams to go out and win and do their best and try to win every single last game. A way to do that would be to equalize the spending pools. Equalize the spending pools. Now, there's no way you will properly be able to totally equalize everything. Because if you have a draft where the top player will probably get paid the highest bonus, the team that is drafting first should probably get a slight edge over the other teams because they're going to have to pay a bunch for the first guy. Same with the second team, same with the third team, same with the fourth team. Top four guys will probably get a significant amount over the rest of the other players. Understandable, logical, tough to argue with. If you have a guy who's 1-1 on the board, he will probably get a decent signing bonus. I have no problems with that. When Chris Bryant signed, he got a huge signing bonus. Guess what? He deserved it. Mark Capel got a huge signing bonus. People thought he deserved it. Turns out he kind of struggled a little bit. So it goes. Baseball drafting, baseball development is an inexact science, and it still is. But the players who are presumed to be the best players are going to get the largest signing bonuses, and the teams who are drafting first, second, third, and fourth probably deserve a bit over the other teams. If... There are no extenuating circumstances. For instance, team loses a draft pick because they had a qualifying free agent. Team loses a draft pick because they cheated in the World Series. Or team loses a draft pick because they did something improper regarding signing a um, draft pick in the past or whatever. If there is no situation where a team loses a draft pick because they did something either inappropriate or that puts them in the punishment phase. If you have a team who you know, draft is 1 through 20, they have draft picks 1 through 20, they should have a normal draft pool. The normal draft pool in my universe would be $8 million. $8 million. So if you're drafting fifth, your draft pool is $8 million. If your draft pool is the 12th, you have a draft pool of $8 million. If your draft pool is 21st, then you have a draft pool of $8 million. $8 million, $8 million, $8 million. If you're 4th, it's 8.5. If you're 3rd, it's 9. 9.5 for 2nd, 10 for 1st. Again, because one, two, three, and 4, they will probably get the most, and I'm good with that. If you have a team that is first, second, third, or fourth crappiest record in baseball, you probably deserve a little bit of a hand up to try to get your team upgraded. I will agree that probably makes a little bit of sense until we get a couple other things figured out. But if a team is in a situation where they're like the Cubs in 2021 and they're looking at their last two months of the season, they're looking at their last two weeks of the season, they're looking at wherever they are in the season, and they realize if we go 17 and 10, or if we go 10 and 17, we're going to have an $8 million draft pool. It doesn't matter. It is totally immaterial. It is moot. The Cubs, or whichever team we're talking about, would realize. You know what? We really aren't going to get any benefit by losing games. There is no upside in Woohoo! We were bad. We were bad down the stretch. We went 10 and 17. Yay! That's a good thing. The goal should be we went 17 and 10 down the stretch. Instead of having a draft pool, instead or instead of having a draft lottery, let all the teams from 5 to 30 that didn't do anything inappropriate have the same draft pool. That way, you have a team like, let's say, the Giants. They had the best record in all of baseball. Why should they be punished for having the best record in baseball? They really shouldn't. They did what they were supposed to. They had the best record in baseball. That's what you're supposed to try to do. They did a good job. So what they ought to do is have the same draft pool size as the Cubs have. Now, in the first round, the Cubs would probably get a bit of a better selection because, after all, only six names would be off the board, not 28 or whatever it would be when the Giants come up. So, yeah, the Cubs would probably have a better name at first uh, in the first round, in the second round, in the third round. But at some point what the what the Giants would get to do is say okay the Cubs had a better selection in the first round and maybe the second round but at some point the Giants would realize we have an 8 million dollar draft pool just like the Cubs do $8 million, 8 million 8 million 8 million 8 million so what they can do at some point is instead of taking in the fifth round an outfielder that's a senior from wherever wherever and we're taking him because we want to fit our number over under our really little, tiny, teeny-weeny um, draft pool slot. Instead of that, they realize, hey, we have $8 million just like the Cubs do. We are going to go out and draft a high school player that if our draft pool was um, microscopic, we wouldn't be able to afford him. But after all, we have 8 million, just like the Cubs have 8 million, just like the Cardinals have 8 million, like the Brewers have 8 million. We have the same draft pool size that most of the other teams have. So regardless who the owner is, regardless who the general manager is, regardless who all that kind of stuff is, if they didn't do anything to punish their draft size... They could spend eight million dollars. Eight million dollars. Hey, cool. We could spend eight million dollars, just like the Cubs do. Every team would get to have a quality draft, irrespective of their record. There were plenty of seasons where the Cubs finished near the top, fit, drafted late in the draft, and missed out on a whole bunch of talent. There's one year they ended up drafting Brett Jackson because they'd had a really good season. They drafted Brett Jackson, but their draft pool, well, let's see, was it even the same? Was there even drafts? No, there wasn't draft pool size back then, so the Cubs could have drafted whoever the heck they wanted. But now that there are draft pool sizes, teams have to mind who they are selecting. If a team has exactly the same draft pool size, regardless what their record is, there's very little point in deliberately losing games down the stretch or even representing that you're trying to deliberately lose games down the stretch. If teams' numbers 6, 10, 15, 21, 26, 28, and 30 all have the same draft pool size, it boils to which team is best at selecting talent and developing talent, not which team is best at being really crappy the year before, which is what it is now. If you have a lottery and you are rewarding teams for having bad records all across the spectrum, you're going to have teams who are realizing in late June, late July, late August, ah, screw this, let's play our bad players because we will be rewarded for being bad. If that's the mindset, if you are rewarding people for being bad, you know what they're going to do? They're going to be bad. If you're going to reward people for violating laws, they're going to violate laws. If, if Major League Baseball wants teams to try to win as often as possible, Don't reward incompetence. In my following the Premier League, in the Premier League, there are 20 teams, and the bottom three get kicked out of the league and replaced by the three teams who do the best in the next lowest division. So 18, 19, and 20 drop down to the lower division, and teams 1, 2, 3 in the lower division climb back up to the... Uh, top division. Now, there are a lot of problems with the Premier League. There are a lot of problems with the Premier League. But one of the problems with the Premier League is not teams intentionally trying to lose because there's no benefit in trying to lose. If you lose, then you get kicked out of the league. In baseball, if you lose, you get more money. You get more money to spend in the draft. You get uh, earlier selections every round in the draft you get to it's very beneficial to do poorly in major league baseball in the premier league that doesn't exist you want to finish 3rd or if you can't finish 3rd you want to finish 4th if you can't finish 4th you want to finish 5th there are benefits to every single level that you reach and if you have a horrible season the team gets punished for that if Major League Baseball wants to get rid of teams trying to, hey, guess what? We're going to get rewarded for being really crappy, so let's be really crappy. Don't go with a lottery. A lottery is of no use. What would be useful is equalizing or normalizing, however you want to put it, the amount every team gets to spend in their draft pool. If every team gets to spend basically the same amount in their draft pool, there's no draft benefit for being bad. None. Why don't owners want that? Remember me talking about the person who wants to lose weight? Owners want to know, if I do a really crappy job, I don't want to be punished. I don't want to be punished for being a really crappy owner. What do I mean by a really crappy owner? Look at anything that's going on with the Colorado Rockies right now. It's not about being cheap. It's not about having a low market size. It's not about that kind of... If you make bad decisions and are rewarded, bad decisions keep coming along. The goal for Major League Baseball, in my view ought to be to eliminate the benefit from having a moderate benefit from having the seventh worst record in baseball or the twelfth worst record ba- in baseball or a benefit of having the twelfth best worst record in baseball, twelfth worst record in baseball over the nineteenth or the twenty-third or the twenty-eighth. If the twenty-eighth and seventh teams in the draft Both have exactly the same draft pool spending amount. There is no benefit in finishing seventh. And teams will go back to more or less what it was back in the 70s and the 80s and actually try to win. It'd be different, wouldn't it? Uh, Will it happen? Oh, no, of course not. But I defy anyone to come up with a reason why a team that would not be rewarded for being bad would deliberately be bad. A lottery is not the solution. A much better solution would be normalizing the spending amounts in the draft pools. Then there's no benefit in losing. Thanks for stopping by. I'll talk to you soon.